Well, hello and welcome to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my producer, Lindsay, and we are streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio today. This is our third podcast of the week. We are so excited for our ever-growing podcast. Um, So excited to have Marty Kendall on today. He will be talking about data-driven intermittent fasting and big fat keto lies. And if you follow me on Facebook, I put out a post this week about my results. Go ahead, Lindsay, and put up that picture. Mm-hmm. If you follow me on Very Facebook, impressive. yeah, I will. I've lost 32 pounds doing modified intermittent fasting. As Marty will get into today, you know, intermittent fasting is different for everybody depending on your activity level and depending on uh, many other factors. So Marty will get into that today, but you do not want to miss out on this. Intermittent fasting can work for a lot of people. I think, uh, you know, evolutionarily speaking, I think it makes a lot of sense. Mm. I know we've talked many times about how, you know, four to five meals a day is best for us. And, you know, but uh, Marty's going to get into some of that stuff. And and the big fat keto lies, I'm interested myself because mm. um, keto is not for everybody. No diet yeah. is for everybody. But here's some options. And Marty is all the way across the world in Brisbane, Australia. Is that correct, Marty? Yeah, Brisbane, Australia. Yeah. All right. Great to talk to you, Sean. This is exciting. <laughs> Great <laughs> yes. results, by the way. Congratulations. You've, thank you. Uh, thank yeah, you so much. Not easy to get that transformation. Yeah, thank you so much. And I, I'm not quite done. I, w- I want to lose probably about eh, seven to nine more pounds, and um, you know, be right at about six percent body fat because I think that's where I'll race my mountain bike optimally. So that's wow. what I'm working on. So all Marty, how to weight ratio for that, isn't it? That's right. That's right. You know all yeah, about it. And speaking of power to weight ratio, I have an FTP test today. Oh wow. uh, yeah. So that's I'm going to find out what my power to weight ratio is. So. <laughs> I'm not super excited about it. I'll see if I'm going to puke or not today after the 20 minute test, but, but, uh, always, always, always super fun afterwards. So, um, Marty, go to introduce yourself and welcome to our show. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, Marty Kendall, I'm an engineer by day, uh, happened to marry Monica, who's a type one diabetic about 20 years ago. And we had no idea about insulin or blood sugars or diabetes or anything back then. And she had no idea really from the education she'd been taught decided to try and have healthy, happy kids rather than and avoid um, complications that come with really elevated blood sugars during pregnancy, which for type 1s is pretty scary. Got motivated with that and then maybe five years ago just found Rob Wolf and low-carb and keto and got swept along with the whole keto fasting, intermittent fasting craze. But then as an engineer, just trying to fine-tune it for things that obviously didn't work for me or other people and not everybody's looking for a, a therapeutic ketogenic diet and, and not everybody has amazing success fasting for weeks on end um, in terms of optimal body composition in the long term and, and optimizing metabolic health. So yeah, I've just been on a journey of taking the data I can get hold of to analyze it, number crunch and try to understand what works for most people most of the time and then how to individualize that for different goals. So, so your wife's a type 1 diabetic. Yeah. Um, I, I just got a question earlier this week uh, about a type 2 diabetic sure. and, you know, is intermittent fasting safe for them? So can you speak of the difference of type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes on and is intermittent fasting um, okay for, for those? Yeah, um, definitely IF is a good idea for type 2s. Um, type 1 is where... 
um, your, your pancreas doesn't produce any insulin, as you'd be aware, due to a autoimmune condition. We don't fully understand what happens, but the insulin just stops happening from the pancreas and you have to inject it. And Moni uses a, a, a continuous glucose monitor paired with an insulin pump that continually drip feeds her insulin all through the day. If she didn't get that, all her stored energy would basically um, dissipate, vomit, explode into her bloodstream and her f- glucose, ketones, free fatty acids would be through the roof. She'd be in diabetic ketoacidosis and basically all as all the stored energy is released into her bloodstream. Um, so she needs to take insulin to moderate that release of energy into the bloodstream. And I suppose that's a, a really interesting insight for me that's helped me to understand what insulin really does is that it's not a um unless someone's running around jamming insulin into you with a pen 24 hours a day you're not actually going to gain fat because of insulin you increase insulin in your body because you've gained fat because of your poor food choices and eating too much too often it's the donuts croissants cookies and all those carb plus fat foods that make you gain fat so that was a that was a little uh, pet peeve passion of mine interjected into there but um for type two um yeah it's all about finding the right balance to reverse your obesity which reduces your insulin which reduces your blood sugars and pairing um intermittent fasting with nutrient dense eating is the ultimate way to reverse type 2 diabetes and we just see we're just starting a um data-driven fasting challenge with a thousand people today we just clocked over a thousand people and um it works amazingly well just to to fine-tune your timing based on your blood sugars to help people dial in when they eat and if they eat nutrient-dense food um, when their blood sugars are a little bit high, they just need nutrients, not fuel. And if their blood sugars drop, they need some fuel and they add some fuel at that point from fat and carbs at that point. So tell us a little bit more about this um, intermittent fasting and what that means yeah. in your study or to an individual because it's, it's always different, whether it's a six-hour window, whether it's an eight-hour window, a 12-hour window. Some people yeah. fast for 48 hours. So tell yeah, us about yeah. and. People talk about the benefits of autophagy and, uh, you know, do you need to fast for a day or two days or seven days or, you know, Jesus fasted for 40 days and do I need to go that long to get all these magical benefits of autophagy? But really these, um, we've got studies in mice for 48 hours, but one mouse day is uh, 40 human days. So to get that result, you might be up to 70 or 80 days and most people will be dead at that point. So it's like how do we it's not just a matter of what i realized it's not a matter of fasting for longer to get the results what you need to do is what you've done is dial in your body composition to get optimal metabolic health to get to the point where you've got a good body mass index a good waist to height ratio a good level of body fat not too low but obviously getting to an optimal level of metabolic health where your blood sugars are at really healthy levels and that's where all the and you know, autophagy really happens, your cancer risk, your diabetes, obviously risk is blown away. Um, all the things that are related to metabolic health improve when we dial in our body composition. So it's not a matter of fasting for longer. It's a matter of finding that balance that will enable you to achieve optimal body composition over the long term. And um, like Janet on Facebook might be doing a 20 for intermittent fasting routine and, and Fred might be doing 16, 18. It's like, well, 
how do I know which is right for me? Is it, you know, just because Janet drives a, a, a Prius hybrid 20 minutes to work, you know, doesn't mean that just because she fills up her fuel tank on every fourth Saturday of the month, if you have a totally different routine, you drive a pickup truck and have a two-hour commute, your fueling routine needs to be completely different and you just can't follow your favourite inspo on Instagram and, and get the same results by mimicking exactly the meal time. You'll just end up going, I'm so freaking hungry and just binging and that's what I found myself doing. Just, you know, when you try to fast for longer, you make these really crappy food choices at the end um, when well, your lizard brain kicks in. That's right. And I, and I appreciate you sharing that. And that's on this podcast, we've told many people that, you know, no diet is, is right for everybody. Mm. So, you know, keto is not right for everybody. Intermittent fasting is not right for everybody. You got to find out what works. And, yeah. and intermittent fasting is no different. And I can tell you my personal experience because I'm an endurance mountain bike racer. Mm. And, you know, obviously I can't fast on the days I have a five hour race. There's just no way I can fast. You need the fuel. Right. Exactly. Now on my day, or if I have a short, if I have a short workout, I can fast on those days. It's an hour, not really yeah. intense. I can fast on those days. But it, even if it's a three-hour workout and it's a mm -hmm. little bit intense, I can't. If it's just a workout, I still yeah. can't fast on those days. I need yeah. fuel before, during, and after the workout mm -hmm. usually. So you have to find out what works for you. Um, can you give a guideline to the average person about what – I know this is a very general question, but mm. – about what intermittent fasting, what can they what can they start with to find out what works for them? Where should they start? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people try two meals a day, or it really helps to not eat late in the day. That's one thing we really know is you know eating eleven o'clock at night, you're more insulin resistant, and more of your energy goes into storage. And if you're sitting in front of Netflix with your che uh, your, your Cheerios and uh, whatever Doritos and going, this is great. I'm just feeding my face. That's going to be stored as fat because you're more insulin resistant. You'll go to sleep and store it rather than getting on with your day and getting on your mountain bike and using it immediately. That that energy goes off into storage in your fat and your liver. But um, yeah, so bringing your your final meal forward a little bit really helps. Maybe trying two meals a day with with no snacks. Um, but what's really important is to find, not go too long that you end up craving those really bad comfort foods that just refill both the glucose and fat stores at the same time, the fat and carb foods, the donuts, croissants, cookies, etc., that will make you eat way more of those foods. You don't get a satiety full signal. And, um, yeah, so if you find yourself craving those foods, you're going too long, you need to back it off and focus on food quality is what we found. And using your blood sugars before you eat is a really helpful guide to know whether you're actually hungry, you need food, or you just, you know, there's so many other reasons we eat that aren't related to actual need for energy. So using your blood sugars before you eat just seems to be the, uh, you know, my favorite hack to uh, to help people understand if they really need to eat or they can wait a little bit longer. Yeah. So educate us a little bit about that. I mean, I, you know, um, it is pretty simple to check your blood glucose. Now yeah. you can, you can do it with a finger stick. You can do yeah. it fairly cheaply. You can buy a machine for very yeah, so inexpensive. Little, um, contour next one yep. um, with a 
box of strips on the desk and um, you know you feel hungry you think of eating you check your blood sugar and it's high and you go well I didn't really need to eat maybe I can wait um, but what we do in data-driven fasting is we get people to baseline over three days so over three days we say when you're hungry enough to eat doesn't matter if it's a snack or whatever you typically eat just check your pre-meal blood sugar before you eat when you're eating how you normally eat and then after that let's try to wait until your blood sugar is just a little bit lower than that so you delay a little bit more and then as you successfully um, get below your trigger more often than not your trigger starts to drop a little bit so it's like progressive overload training for your metabolism that it just continues to dial up so you know you don't want to if you tried to do a ultra marathon when you hadn't been on the bike for for two years and never swum you'd completely bonk and fail but if right. you train a little bit more you progressively train your body you'll be able to do that eventually and you'll be able to smash the ultra without bonking and most people dive into fasting thinking you know janet on facebook went for a week and i can too and it's not that hard to not eat for a week it's not easy but it's not hard but what's hard is to refeed intelligently at that point and get the nutrients you need so you don't lose lean mass and just keep on gaining body fat while you're losing your precious um, skeletal muscle that powers your metabolism. That's correct. That's what's so important about any kind of fueling or any kind of weight loss program. And we're going to discuss that more over the next couple of weeks and as um, in our podcast and on social media, but you know, maintaining lean body mass is very, very important, especially Absolutely as we age. Critical. Yeah, definitely. Especially definitely. as we age, because it's harder to gain your lean body mass back. Mm. It's not that you can't, but mm. um, you know. Um, so you're saying two meals a day is what you're saying. So, like, uh, eat, well, yes? it depends. Right, older right. people, older people, like you say. Um, if they're less active, if they're not a mountain biker, um, if they're not doing three-hour rides, they might be able to get away with one, alternate between one or two meals a day. We tend to find older people find the sweet spot that allows them to continue to lose weight. But people who are more active might be alternating between two and three meals a day guided by their blood sugars. And initially it's a little bit random. We just say just wait watch your blood sugars, calibrate your hunger, understand whether you're really hungry. But eventually we want people to find their own routine that actually works for them so the meal times aren't completely random. They get the circadian rhythm dialed in and they know what they're going to eat, when they're going to eat, and maybe if their blood sugars don't come down because they ate a bit too much in the last meal, um, they'll skip that meal and, and come back later and uh yeah it's actually not that hard and everybody comes from extended fasting and alternate day fasting and all these other versions of fasting go wow i get to eat regularly and i get to eat these you know hearty big meals and this is you know this is so cool yeah and it's quality of meals it's quality food right and oh, high totally. protein and and, and real totally. food not processed food yeah it's all about what you eat when you eat and just not doing that too often that's right and so when you talk about blood sugars, you you average on this data-driven fasted study mm. that you're doing, a thousand people, you mm. you average their blood glucose for like three days, so you kind of know what their normal is. Is that correct? Yeah, normal for them. You can't. Uh, there was a study in University of Otago where they tried that. They tested, you know, let's look at your typical waking blood sugar and 
do that versus trying to get people to reach optimal, which was four millimolar, which is quite low. And just the people who were trying to get to a really low optimal blood sugar before the eight just fell off the wagon and couldn't sustain it. So what we realized is you need to find your baseline for you and just, you know, that progressive overload again, just make a little bit harder next time. Not too hard because when you when your blood sugars drop too low be- below your normal, you'll just want to raid the pantry for everything right. that's carbs right. and fat together you'll just your your lizard brain will seek out the the magic combo of carbs fat low protein low nutrient density that allows you to to avoid the famine that you just inflicted on it right so for those of us in the united states including myself can you give the conversion of four millimoles uh, to uh, milligram per deciliter i think it's uh 70 uh, milligrams per deciliter, so it's it's four by eighteen. Anyway, I should know that as an engineer off the top of my okay. head. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so seventy milligram per deciliter. If yeah. that was their, if that's a normal blood sugar, they wouldn't eat until their blood sugar got below that. Is that correct? Yeah, in this study, and they just found that doesn't work. So you've got to personalize it to your blood sugar. So in the data driven fasting app, we get people to to log their pre meal blood sugar over the three days, and then it all guides them uh, as to you know you, you enter your blood sugar and go oh, maybe it's a bit high maybe weight but if you are really hungry let's prioritize nutrients which is protein and nutrient dense foods without carbs and fat but then if you get your blood sugars low it says okay you know you need to refuel maybe add some um you know non-refined carbohydrates to refill your glucose so you don't feel like you're bonking and you need to eat the entire pantry right now right right so are you still recruiting for the study uh well it's it's a challenge that we're doing every uh six weeks or so so it's a 30-day challenge that we do via um in a facebook group so this amazing community of people have grown up around it that get this amazing success and um yeah it starts today saturday well it's saturday here in australia at 4 30 in the morning but um for everybody watching they can jump in and um sign up to start on saturday in america and um yeah would love to have them they can go over to datadrivenfasting.com and join the challenge if they want to play what what do people have to do to during the challenge so during the challenge they download the app they download a manual we've got um over over the last nine months we've had more than 100 different questions that i've answered and gone to town with the full explanation so there's all this information if you want to learn all the nuances of your blood sugars and how that works but it's quite simple you just have to check your blood sugar before you eat when you feel hungry and then wait a little bit longer and um, as we go through we just guide people to fine-tune the process and understand you know why the blood sugars rise a bit more when they exercise when they do intense exercise or when they do slow walking or whatever their blood sugars tend to drop Um, you know how focusing on protein um, helps the blood sugars to drop so they can eat again more quickly and sooner so they don't have to um if if they eat high fat foods the blood sugar tends to remain stable but remains elevated for a long time doesn't actually drop so if they wait really long so you might be fasting for days at a time before you reach your trigger again and you can eat um yeah so we just go through all the nuance but the the essence is quite simple and eventually we start to dial in what to eat versus when to eat 
And so what are you seeing? You've, you've done one of these challenges already, is that correct? Uh, yeah, we've done, this is our seventh. Okay, so tell us what, what is the goal of the challenge? What do people, um, what should they expect and what, what are the results they get usually? Yeah, um, just in really quick fat loss right around the middle, the visceral adiposity, um, the waist to height, the body fat drops down because due to oxidative priority, you've got to build, burn the, the glucose first before you can attack the glucose, the, the glycogen stored in your liver right. and the fat in your blood and then the fat on your body. So you have to deplete that first. And if you deplete that a little bit more each time, um, the glycogen fills up your glucose and then the fat is used for fuel and then you actually attack your body fat. So just by taking that in a progressive overload sort of manner, we just get amazing results over the long term without getting to the point where people binge um so yeah diabetes reversal fat loss feeling good and just um really spurred on by the the great results um people can check out the website of the group and we've got a whole bunch of different leaderboards of um the results people have got so the best way to sign up is through the website or through the facebook group uh through through that website datadrivenfasting.com and right, sign well, up for the 30-day challenge that'd be cool yeah, we will put that in the links. And it's 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 ever going. So if you can't do it right away, you could maybe do it yeah. next month or something like that, correct? Okay. Yeah, correct. We've got um we've got an unlimited option where people can sign up for unlimited because people find that they sort of get the hang of it the first time, they lose a bit of weight, they learn to understand the true hunger, then the second time they come back and really lose a ton of weight and then go, okay, I'll keep coming back to get to my goal and then they come back to maintain and then become moderators and guide other people because they want to share what they've learned and um, be, be part of the ongoing community. So we're doing seven a year and people can just keep on keep on rolling for the unlimited. And is there a fee for this to sign up for this? Uh, uh, yeah, process? Th 37 US dollars. So compared to Zoe and other sort of similar th programs, it's about 10% of the price. Yeah, so that's I'm very, very affordable. And the only other yeah. thing they need to do is commit to buying a blood glucose monitor, which yeah. honestly, you can get one in the States for probably $10. Or, you or get free it, with healthcare. Right. Or, well, yeah. or free if you buy their strips sometimes too. So, yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, and the strips, you can get a, like Walmart, for instance, for yeah. our listeners and viewers out there in the States, um, you can get it for like 10 bucks. You, yeah. you know, and if you have any questions about that, listeners and viewers, let me know. Um, you don't have to pay big dollars for a machine. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you can get them for inexpensive. So, you know, yeah. reach out to it, reach out to us on, on Facebook or whatever and um, comment so we can we can help you if you want to do that process. So. So yeah, no, that, a lot that's, of people get into using the continuous glucose meter, but a lot of the time it just creates more confusion than clarity, and we just want the the minimum amount of data that's actionable without confusing people. Well, and I mean, continuous monitoring can be helpful, but like any, like with any data, if you're not gonna use it, then don't do it. And yeah. you know, because it, it just it, it is confusing. So yeah. it makes the most sense to me to check your blood sugar right before you eat and after you eat to see how mm. your how your body responds to certain mm. foods. Mm. And yeah, we don't want people to see their blood sugar go, you know, spike really high because no. it comes it takes a long time to come back down. But continuous glucose meters tend to drive people to go, okay, I need flatline blood sugars, so I'm going to swap out all my carbohydrates and just add unlimited fat because that lets me re maintain flatline blood sugars and then 
that doesn't lead to satiety and or, or weight loss or diabetes reversal and often worsens the situation because they believe that this fat is a free food and their blood sugar is a flat line and, yeah, doesn't end well. Well, all right. You you just really stamped on all the keto levers. So well, tell us about I've, it. I've, I've been there. <laughs> right. No, I get it. And, you know, um, I, I, I can't go keto. I, I just can't. I mean, I think as an endurance athlete, it is very, very difficult to go through yes. keto. Now, I will say this. I have watched my carbs through this intermittent fasting process. I have mm. eaten less carbs. And I think just like you said, it decreases my glucose and my blood. It also decreases my glycogen stores, and then it helps me burn fat. Mm -hmm. And on less intense rides at a lower intensity for longer duration, I'm able to burn fat without having to intake glucose. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to fuel as much mm -hmm. on my bike, which mm -hmm. is a big advantage when you're doing a five-hour race because you don't have to stop at aid stations to keep fueling mm -hmm. or pack a bunch of fuel. You've got a lot of fuel in your body, and we all, even if we have low body fat, have a lot of fuel in our body for days, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. no, definitely, definitely. So, Marty, tell me about Big Fat Keto Lives while we're talking about keto. Yeah, yeah, we sort of segued from that nicely. Um, yeah, I've, Monica's type 1, we've had amazing benefits from a lower-carb diet and getting her off the blood sugar insulin roller coaster. So that that's a really big deal if you're injecting insulin because you don't want your blood sugars to be, you know, Dr. Bernstein talks about the lower small numbers. And if your blood sugars go up massively, then you have to jam in a whole lot of insulin to bring that down. And then her blood sugars are crashing and then she's hungry and has to eat again. So that, that blood sugar roller coaster is the enemy for someone with type 1 diabetes. And to some extent, for someone with, with some level of insulin resistance and, and type 2, they want blood sugars in the healthy normal range so we say we don't want your blood sugars to go up by more than 1.6 millimolar or 30 milligrams per deciliter after you eat you probably ate too much or too much carbohydrate at that point you need to dial it back a little bit and that just helps people to you know the, 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 i mentioned zoe who's a big um tim specter uh big company that just came out with a study that demonstrated based on a whole lot of cgm monitoring that People who, whose blood sugars drop a lot before they eat um, tend to overeat at the next meal. They tend to just feel too hungry. So that's why we say stabilize blood sugars. Once your blood sugar gets a little bit below what's normal for you, eat again, eat well. Um, if your blood sugars drop too low, you'll probably be prone to eat crappy food that's not going to be good for you and you're just going to fill up all your fuel tanks and it'll take a long time to deplete them. So, um, yeah, definitely massive benefits of, of low carb. But I think the benefits of low carb tend to come from not adding more fat. You don't need to fear fat, but a lot of the benefits of Atkins, Bernstein, Banting came from increased protein, which drives satiety, which leads to, to fat loss from the body. It's it's uh, it's the endogenous fat from inside your body you want to lose not you don't want to have high ketones because you've got exogenous fat coming in from your diet yeah, and people are testing their ketones and i was prone to this and you're chasing high ketones and i need to get the optimal ketone zone if i get to three i'm i'm winning i'm going to be losing fat so i just need to have more butter and mct oil and oh that looks so good in the mirror and i feel really bad and i feel really sluggish and yeah so i realized that you needed to find a way to dial in satiety so you were less hungry. So 
you were the you, you were the fat in your diet you weren't adding fat to your diet so you need to we all eat until we feel full so you need to manage satiety to enable you to drop body fat so you're getting and, and ketones. Right, right and essentially what you're saying is that when you eat high satiety foods which basically are high in protein um mostly meat um yeah. you, you you get satisfied so you mm. don't need as much carbs you don't need as much fat so mm. essentially you're burning your own fat yeah. and so essentially because you're eating less calories that's why you lose weight yeah. is that correct yeah. oh yes exactly right. that, that, right. that's as simple as it is but it's it's choosing what you eat that manages how much right. you eat you can't control how much you eat forever you know you can't outsource your satiety to a smartphone app because eventually your lizard brain outsmarts the smartphone app it's not really that smart your lizard <laughs> your, your amygdala which keeps you alive is is incredibly powerful and uh eventually you'll end up face down in the donuts and um that doesn't lead to optimal body composition and all those things we talked about before Right. So, um, what are other big fat keto lies? Is that the main one or do you have some other yeah, big fat uh, keto uh, lies? I know you wrote a paper one, about it. You know, I, I suppose that the first one was the, um, you know, the misunderstanding that more ketones was better because in the first few weeks of a keto diet, ketones tend to drift up, but also waking blood sugars do and, and free fatty acids do. But as you reverse energy toxicity as you, as you start to draw down on your body fat the 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 energy in your bloodstream doesn't back up into your bloodstream so you don't see elevated glucose or ketones or necessarily free fatty acids they all sort of come back down so you know if you if you're doing keto for a few months you you see your ketones drop you're no longer peeing purple on on the magic ketone stick and then eventually your blood ketones start to drop as well. So at that point, people go, oh, I'm doing keto wrong. I should be eating more fat. And it's like, no, 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 um, just, you know, that's okay. Over two years, the Verta study um, showed that, you know, at one and two years, people much pretty much reverted to baseline blood ketone values. So that optimal ketone chart of, you know, you need to get over 0.5 and ideally over 1.5 is just unsustainable and leads people to hammering more fat to keep the ketones high, which is not going to lead to diabetes reversal or optimal metabolic health. Right. Now, and here's what my thought is about the whole thing with any kind of diet is that, you know, eventually your body is going to reach homeostasis. Our body yes. always tries to do that. Yes. So this is one of the arguments and I've never been able to, I never had a good, anybody to able to answer this question. Well, mm -hmm. um, so we talked about glucose, glycogen, and fat burning. Those mm. are, you know, we want we want our our main fuel stores to be that. I mean, our fuel stores could be muscle, which we don't want, yep. but it could happen. Or um, alcohol, which has to be burnt first. That's true. That's true. Yep. So um, when people go on these high key, high fat, low carb diets, yep. I'm going to assume for on the short term their glycogen is depleted. Correct. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the glycogen drops. I suppose it depends on how you define a high fat keto diet. Whether you, are, I do you have epilepsy, Alzheimer's, dementia, dementia, or Parkinson's, and do you really need it? Is the first question. But yeah, sorry. I, that, yeah, 
So and, yeah, your blood sugars will drop. And will will your will your glycogen replete itself after you've been on keto after you've been on a uh, um, keto diet long enough? Will your glycogen stores replenish itself? My thought is they would. But yeah, there are yeah, some yeah. people um, that say that your glycogen doesn't replenish itself, so you'll never have glucose in your blood again. I yeah. still think that glucose is the primary fuel that our body wants to use to fuel itself. That's my opinion. So it's, I always it's the think fast no matter fuel, yeah, yeah. So I always think no matter how high a fat diet you eat, if you do it for long, maybe short term, you'll deplete some gl- glycogen. But your body is good at replenishing that for mm. storage. Correct? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, th- there was some studies with Jeff Folick with the FASTA study where they had keto athletes that they were very much keto endurance athletes and after endurance events they found them to replenish their glycogen stores quite effectively I suppose with gluconeogenesis you don't replenish glucose as quickly as eating sugar gels so if, if you're doing explosive activities that you actually need intense bursts of activity maybe a bit of carbohydrates and even zach bitter who's you know 100 mile endurance runner will use some targeted carbohydrates around the actual activities but most people aren't running 100 mile races so they don't need as much glucose it's the reality but uh so just because zach eats that way probably doesn't mean you should eat that way but what happens over time if you've got still got a lot of fuel backing up in your system you've exceeded your personal fat threshold and your body fat can't store any more energy, all the excess energy just backs up in the system. So your body can still make glucose from the glycerol backbone in your fat and obviously your protein, and then that just backs up in the system. So especially in the morning, people on a keto diet see elevated blood sugars, waking blood sugars, because they're still making glucose from their fat and their protein. And because they've got excess energy, they see elevated glucose in the morning and they go, oh, that's okay. It's just physical, physiological insulin resistance and that's a, a good thing means I'm doing keto right. But it's like, oh, wait up. Excess energy in your body is not necessarily a good thing and maybe you need to lose a bit of body fat so that energy isn't overflowing into your bloodstream as much because it's that waking glucose that tends to be so highly correlated with all of our metabolic disease. Right. Or another way to get rid of that high glucose in the morning is exercise right after you get up. Yeah. 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 Use the energy. Especially long, um, slow walking or, you know, low intensity exercise just burns your fat and then your glucose drops. So it's, yeah, walking is underrated. We we don't do enough of it. Yeah. Yeah. Just movement. I mean, we just got to get up and move. We're all so sedentary and then we go to the gym for half an hour and yeah. Right. Right. Wow. Well, Marty, there's been a lot of good information here. So um, I just want to ask you a couple of questions as we wrap up this podcast. Uh, so first of all, I want to comment that I think it's very interesting and it's very special that, you know, really the reason that you really kind of grabbed on to this model is because your wife's a type one diabetic. Yeah. And I will tell you, I've got a twin brother and his son is a type one diabetic. Oh, wow. And so the names, Dr. Bernstein, you know, uh, Rob Wolf, all those names yeah. ring a bell he to is. me because, and my brother is an analytical chemist. So yeah. he's very data driven. So he would check his son's glucose 50 to 100 times a day, yeah. you know, to find yeah, I'll, out I'll how his body responds. On the continuous glucose monitor pretty much 24 7. And it's such a learning experience. You can't 
you can't your belief every belief you have about nutrition is just smashed by the data as you see what's actually happening every five minutes that's what he discovered so um so yeah i think you know when someone we love has some kind of uh you know, diabetes or some kind of disease, you know, um, those of us around them can, can dig more into the research and, and help them out. So I, I appreciate you doing that for your wife. I'm sure she's eternally grateful and you've got a lot of good information that you can help thousands of people all over the world now. So that's mm-hmm. awesome, Marty. So thank you to, for that. You. And what, what is, what drives you? What, what do you have a passion for? Wow. Somebody asked me that the other day and said, oh, you know, data driven fasting is taking, taking off. What's the, um, you know, where do you think this will go? What's your dream? And it's like, oh, okay, let me uh, let me think about that. And I thought, you know, data-driven fasting leads people to avoid the pitfalls of fasting and all the beliefs around that. And I need more ketones and autophagy, and I just fast to fast for longer. And eventually, they find they need to to eat well, and they need nutrient density and satiety to get a nutrient dense diet. And at that point. They start to choose good foods and all the dogma about nutrition that's generated by ethical, religious, and commercial interests is blown out of the water as people focus on nutrient density. And they go looking at the, you know, what's in my food? Does it contain nutrients or is it just sugar, flour, and refined seed oils with a bunch of flavors and chemicals to make my dopamine explode? Right. And that just cuts through the bullshit of. Yep all of nutrition and all of the food marketing. And at that point, we get people, you know, people are all on about uh, sustainability and the environment. And if you just eat plant-based, it's good for the environment. What's good for the environment is having a, a food system that involves plants and animals together that creates regenerative agriculture that that makes a vibrant, healthy ecosystem where everything comes together the way nature intended and uh, we get a planet that lasts a whole lot longer with happy healthy humans rather than this wally dystopia where everybody's eating this processed crap with bright shiny labels that says it's high in whatever the current fat is so um yeah i think there's a long-term goal here that we need a food system that drives a, a healthy environment that we can all be happy and healthy in the long term well, and speaking of that, you know, when we talk about when plant-based, when people that are vegetarians or vegans or plant-based diets, when they say those are what's sustainable and we mm. don't need to eat animals, let's realize, like like just you said, that plants and animals are in a symbiotic relationship mm. and mm. plants cannot survive without animals. I mean, mm. nitrogenous, nitrogenous mm. fix, fixing animal or waste is how, mm. how, is how plants get fertilized. Mm. So. Yeah. Without the animals eating those plants and yeah. fertilizing those plants, we have no plants unless yeah. we do synthetic fertilizers, which is what yeah. they don't want to do. So, oh, well, they are. You know, the, the amount of synthetic fertilizer oh, for sure. from methane from when the Harbor Bosch process was patented in 1930, you know, the amount of synthetic fertilizer we're just dumping into our food crops, massive monocrop cultures that just provide empty calories that are fueling. The, the seed oils and the, the, the flowers and, and refined grains is just insane. It just tracks perfectly with the obesity epidemic. So, and that fossil fuel fertilizers is the, the nub of the problem. If you took that out, you wouldn't have the population explosion or the, the dilution of nutrients in our food system that is uh, really why we're all sick and fat. 
That's right. That's right. So let's go ahead, producer, and stream the uh, the data driven fasting website and um, go ahead, Marty, and tell us one more time how people sign up for this. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Um, just go to the data driven fasting, click on the little 30 day challenge button in the top right. And um, yeah, you'll join the Facebook group and there's a, you know, 140 page manual and a whole lot of daily posts that will just guide you through one step at a time, one day at a time. And with a thousand people who are all excited and heaps of momentum to, uh, to, to drive through the process. Yeah. It's a really great community. I love, I love it. 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 Keeps me getting up at 4.30 to chat to people like you. That's right. That's right. Thank you for getting up so early your time, by the way. And, you know, what, at our pharmacy, Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy, we're doing a movement challenge as we did last fall. We're going to do another movement challenge in May, and it's basically 40 miles. It's called the Mount Everest um, Mount Everest Challenge, and we're doing 40 miles in 30 days of May, 31 days, I guess. And I am going to, now that I met you, Marty, I am going to do it myself, and we're going to do a challenge in June. We're going to do the Data-Driven Fasting Challenge because I want our patients, our our uh, listeners and viewers to understand the the benefits of fasting and how yeah. it might it, – it could work for them. It will work for them. They just got to find out what works. And your mm. system creates that method because everybody's mm. different. So I appreciate mm. you for being on today and educating our listeners and viewers, Marty. That was so much fun, Sean. I really uh, thanks for listening to Rant and Rave. I love it. I love it so much. So um, thanks for being on, Marty. Thanks for listening and tuning in, everybody. As always, you can tune in on my personal Facebook page and the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacies uh, Facebook page. Mosaic Professional Pharmacy YouTube site and all the podcast forums, please like and subscribe to them and comment so we can get more um, great uh, guests like we did today. And speaking of guests, we'll have David Blattent on our show Monday, 1230 to 1.30 Pacific Standard Time. He is a former hospital administrator and he's going to be talking about healthcare policy. And I'm super excited to have him on. You know, we've talked things like that before you don't want to miss that episode so thanks for tuning in to health solutions with sean and janet needham thanks marty thanks sean see you guys bye bye